Welcome to the Lead Management Mastermind Show, the only podcast where you'll learn about lead management best practices from the top lead management and sales marketing executives in the industry. Hear about the optimization, strategy, and techniques that have made each of our guests the best of the best in the lead management domain. Live from the headquarters of SDP Solutions, Here's your host, Scott Payne. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lead Management Masterminds podcast. I'm so excited to have everyone back with us today. Really excited about our guest. More importantly, we have a return guest, our first return guest. We first had our guest, Ed Powell, on the show with us back on episode five. This was done at a trade show uh, at uh, a conference in Denver. And so now we're actually getting a real true live podcast episode with me and Ed. And, and I couldn't be more excited. So, Ed, thanks for joining the show today. Let me do a quick introduction real quick. And then I'm going to turn it over to you for, to, to add to anything I missed. But you know, I'm really excited to have Ed on the show. He's got over 30 years in the mortgage industry, uh, including starting his, his career as a retail loan officer. So he's actually been on the phone and, and doing those things. The loan officers are doing day in and day out. He has stops at Lending Tree, Spark Room, Round Point Ally, and he's now with Angel Oak Home Loans as the regional manager. And again, super excited to have him on the show. He is, uh, and I mean this, Ed, in the most nicest and most respectful of ways. But when I think industry vets, literally, I think of you, right? You're like the OG godfather to me. I'm not calling you old by any means, but think of you, I'm thinking of you as like my sensei, my my grandfather, who's been through it all. He's been through the ins and outs of the mortgage industry. You've been through it all. And that's why I'm excited to have you on the show today because you know there's a lot going on, a lot of changes happening, really looking to, to pull from your insight. So Ed, why don't you do a quick introduction to add to anything I may have missed and, and be nice to me. I, I really didn't call you old. I just said your experience. That's, that's well, a better term. That's kind. Um, I do feel old. I am uh, recently became a grandfather. So that, that actually, I think, puts me into old man status anyway. Sure. Um, but I'm excited to be here. I, I'm pleased to be a second time guest. I think that's an honor. I thought recently about my experience and when I got in the business. And the irony is many of the people that were in the business when I started in 89 are still in the business today in various roles. So it's not a business that seems to let people out. It's a little bit like Hotel California. You can check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. Right. And, uh, you know, rates when I got in the business were in double digits. And so we thought our, our first big refi wave was when we got, you know, single digit mortgages, right? Well, now we're a third of that with today's rates. And, and I've been through, you know, the ups and downs, both in terms of interest rates, although the interest rates have been mostly down, but, you know, the correction in 2007 and eight, um, right when we had Sparkroom up and running and all our clients were losing money. And then, you know, some bounces around in, in other times as well as, as rates and property values move around. So I, I, I have been through a lot in a, a bunch of different places. and. Uh, I guess that's the mortgage business. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I've been in since 2004. I've seen some ups and downs. It's an interesting time. It's a time that uh, we all knew was going to come. Everyone has, I mean, rates are always going to go up. They can't go as, you know, continue to go down as low as they have been, right? So we've always talked about rates going up, starting to see that here, here recently. I'm really excited to kind of pull your expertise on this because, you know, there's a lot of lenders out there saying, okay, now we've officially got to make some changes to our business that, you know, will, will help us scale. And, and continue to grow even, right? There's a lot of lenders who you know, planning to continue to grow in this in this environment because of technology and the things that we're able to do. What would you say if, if you had to give maybe just uh, from your experience, 
What, when is another time you've seen something like this start to happen? And what advice would you maybe give to some lenders who maybe haven't been through it yet? Yeah, I mean, I think there have been other macroeconomic incidents, you know, even going back to in the early, in the late 98, 99 with, you know, long, um, long-term capital. And there was, a, you know, some dislocation in the bond markets, you know, even back then. And then, you know, obviously after 9-11 and then all these sort of macro and economic and, and international things that affect rates and consumer confidence and housing prices. I think those are the three things. And obviously employment um, as well are the sort of the four key things that you look at that impact the mortgage market. I would say that it's never too soon to start thinking about the future. I think some people that are waking up today on April Fool's Day thinking that they need to get a purchase strategy in place, they might be a little late to the party. Sure. Um, and I think as uh, rates continue to tick up and, you know, we're hearing a lot of consumers that want to buy a house can't find houses. So the, the constrained inventory right now is also an impact that's going on right now. Yeah. Um, these low rates have had people staying at home and being comfortable to refinance and add a garage and keep their payments the same and pull some cash out. And there's been a lot of interesting things this past year during COVID. But I would say the, the key thing is realize as you make changes, that changes don't come overnight. You've got to have a plan. You need to stick through the plan. You've got to have um, the finances and or the backing of a company that understands that you're not going to see the benefits of some of the changes you make for 90 days at a minimum, maybe 180 to you know a year um, until you really can get um, the wheel, the flywheel moving the way you want it to in the types of changes you make to your business. Key phrase there, stick to the plan, right? I've seen that happen over and over again where, okay, rates are going up. We're going to add this purchase team. We're going to convert them to purchase. Rates go back down. And what, what do they do? They, they shift them right back into the old place. And so I really like that advice as far as sticking to the plan, how you do that, whether it be a you know a dedicated team and, and so that if something happens, there's still a dedicated team after the fact to that type of service, I think is a key part. One of the big things now too as well, because most of my clients, uh, you know, historically and, and you know, I work a lot with Philosophy, obviously, you know, a lot of their clients are consumer direct. You know, that has always been a challenge with how do I do consumer direct in a consumer or how do I do sorry, purchase in a consumer direct environment? You know, I know you've had a lot of success with this in the past. What advice would you give to someone who, and again, maybe it's too late right at this moment, but if for someone who, you know, is maybe starting to figure out what advice would you give them as it relates to a purchase strategy from a lead management perspective, what advice would you give to somebody? Yeah. And I think I've had success. I think I've probably had more failures, Scott, than success. And I think that's probably why I'm more qualified to talk about it. Sure. I would say that one of the things that on a purchase strategy you have to think about is how long is it going to take? And that gets back to the stick to the plan comment. Um, I know at previous stops, you know, we looked at maybe a 180 day window because you would get what now is referred to as early funnel consumers that are kicking the tires early on in the process. They're going to the internet. They are looking at rates. They want to find out what they qualify for. And your first goal really should be to get a pre-qualification letter in front of them that has your name, your brand. And then if you can, refer them to a real estate agent so that you feel comfortable that the financing won't get flipped when and if they write a contract. And whether that's you know something localized that you work or a national 
company that you can partner with that helps you with that referral, that will keep the stickiness of that consumer to your financing. But I think the big thing is having the patience and realizing that it's going to take a long period of time to turn those leads into applications and into fundings. And then having touch points where you can reach out to them, both in terms of triggered, automatically triggered emails or content sent to them, but also basically nudging the loan officer to reach out to the consumer on a fairly regular basis. Those are the things that you have to do. You have to stick to it. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be a little bit dogged and determined. And you've got to be patient because it's going to take a while. Yeah, it's great advice. Patience is key. No doubt about it. I mentioned that again. You've got to stick to the plan and you've got to be patient. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been talking to a lot of lenders about as well is you have to, as you mentioned, the loan officer's got to call. You've got to have someone touching base with your customers. You can't just do a send a prequal letter and, and cross your fingers and they're going to come back to you. You've got to have some of these things in place as the, the realtor referral side of it. And at the same time, you've got to make you know, the realtor feel comfortable that you're doing a good job with it. One of the things I've been talking a lot about is I call it inventory or you know, survey questions that are always being asked on every touch point. For example, are you, what is your time frame for buying? Has that changed? Maybe in the beginning, you, you figure out what that is. But if it's changed, you need to make sure you've, you know, maybe they decided to wait six months. Maybe they wanted to accelerate. Always asking those types of questions of what's your time frame for buying? What is the process to, do you have a home to sale? What is your current situation? Do you have an offer made or are you just kicking the tires? These types of kind of survey questions can help drive that prioritization for your loan officers and how they follow up. You can prioritize these tasks for them and put them in order of highest converting to least converting, right? So those who are more hot to buy a house versus those who are just kicking the tires. And it's automatically set up for the, for the loan officer there to make those calls. What kind of questions do you think it's important for loan officers to be asking on that first initial phone call that may lead to success down the road? Well, I think timing is the first is the first question, right? Understand their timing, letting the consumer know that you can help them figure out how much they qualify. Because I think a lot of consumers that they go online, they play with these tools and these calculators, but they don't really know. So asking the qualifying questions, and by that I mean, how are you paid? Do you have a two year average? Have you filed your tax returns? Are you self employed? You get ten ninety nine, so you get K ones. Talk to me about how you make money so that I can figure out how much we can qualify for you for a loan. I think that becomes critical. And then again, working with a real estate agent. If you're not working with one, can we help you there? And if you are, can I have their name and number so I can reach out to them so they can feel comfortable that I'm a professional helping you go through this process? And, and again, that helps preventing the, the, the financing from getting flipped by that real estate agent. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue too, because traditionally, consumer direct loan officers have not really you know, had those realtor relationships or connections, right? Tra- very transactional, these types of things. But as you move more into purchase, now that becomes more critical. And that leads me to kind of my next kind of question or, is around, you know, how do you see that uh, the world has shifted over the past year as it relates to the difference between consumer direct and retail? Where, where are some of those lines starting to blur in your opinion, uh, given your experience as both a retail loan officer in the past to, you know, having a really heavy consumer direct background as well? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I recently had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who works for a regional mortgage company that is primarily retail. And, you know, they're looking to see what they can do in the consumer direct or considering consumer direct. And I think the lines between consumer direct and retail are going to continue to be more and more blurred 
And I think it's more going to be around the consumer experience and the expectation. The consumer of today, and let's, you know, I, I'm an old guy in my 50s, but the people in their 20s and 30s and, 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 and 40s, they've grown up with the phones in their hand and apps, and they want to be able to, like, email is not nearly as effective as it once was. Um, you know, they're using texting instead of email. They want to have an app that gives them a pizza tracker on where their loan is going through in the process. They don't necessarily want to talk to you. They just want to look in and check in in the same way that we might want to look and see where our Amazon shipping is. I think you're going to see that the retail companies are going to be forced to be more consumer-friendly in a digital way because the consumer is going to expect and demand that. You know, nowadays with, with companies like Blend and Roostify and these other companies that have these point-of-sale solutions where you can type in a couple usernames and passwords and they can suck in all of your data and you don't have to key it in. I think that's what consumers are expecting. They want to be able to a couple keystrokes. We think about a lot of things here about using a mouse and not using a keyboard. And I think that's the way the consumer thinks about it. They want to be able to click through stuff and, and make it simple. And I think that's going to be true in retail or in Consumer Direct. And I think the retail people are going to have to adjust the fact that consumers want that 24-7 access, that ability to self-serve and monitor and track things on their own. But I think you can never eliminate the human element. And I think all of them having um, a point where you want to raise your hand and reach someone that you can do that um, is equally important. I mean, we just went through something here where we've made it so that instead of consumers reaching a voicemail for a certain channel and path, that they get a live person that takes down a few fields of data. I think that that's what the consumer wants. They want to get someone, they want to talk to someone when they want to. When they don't want to, they're fine with self-serving themselves. A good example of that recently for me as a consumer in a different product, my son turned 21 and we had to get something that my mother, his grandmother had for him moved over. And it was, you wanted to do it all online, but at some point you have to pick up the phone and talk to someone to get, you know, all the steps done. And I think that's very analogous to what goes on in the mortgage process. You want to do as much as you can online, but at some point you run into hurdles or obstacles or an understanding that you need to get a personal phone. And I think that's what's, you're, you're going to see that balance going on for the consumer, but ultimately you've got to provide the ability to self-serve, but also the ability for them to talk to someone when they want to talk to someone. Yeah. What's your opinion on video? Because when we talk about retail and um, in Consumer Direct, typically retail, you can go have a face-to-face -face conversation. You can meet up with the person, come into the office, these types of things. Now we have Consumer Direct, you know, typically all over the phone, maybe some SMS now and all of that built in, but there's really no face-to-face -face connection. And so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because you know, I think... For me personally, I can look at a camera and talk and act like I'm actually having a conversation with someone who's sitting across from me, but it's on video. I put out, you know, a, a theory or a thought back in and right before kind of everything shut down that I really felt that consumer direct LOs were going to get more comfortable being in front of a video just in their own personal lives where it'd be family Zoom calls, et cetera. Do you see that playing out sometime over time where now a consumer direct LO is going to be on a face-to-face -face call with a customer through video? 
Yeah, I, I think this past year with COVID has and people's um, adaptation around that. Our office in North Carolina has been fairly empty of in-person for the majority of the year. And we have done fairly well. I wouldn't say it's great. We probably could have done better on many things. But, you know, we have teams meetings and you're, you're checking in and it's you can still see the people. You get to see people's living rooms. Mm-hmm. Um I think that, you know, we used to joke that a lot of people in Consumer Direct had the faces for radio. Um, and I think there's probably some truth to that. And generally speaking, a Consumer Direct loan officer might not do as well, particularly earlier on in their career, walking into a real estate office and trying to solicit business. But after a few years, they've got that confidence up. They've got, you know, really good phone manners, phone etiquette. They sell really well. I think the really good ones, it will be almost seamless to move into a video, share the screen. You can see me. I can see you. I think there'll be some resistance from some some people. But if you're in your 20s and 30s and you've been doing FaceTime and you've been doing video chats, it's really not that much of an adjustment. And I think the consumers are going to expect that. And look, some of the tools that are at our disposal now allow for screen share with video. So it can feel like an in-person, and that kind of gets back to our earlier question. I think you'll see emerging between the retail and the consumer direct, where some of these um, components are going to be present in both. Couldn't agree more. I think that's where we're headed. I think uh, the screen share is another place, right? I've seen a lot of people struggle with how do I really show the customer, uh, you know, the options they have, right? There's always been a mortgage coach that's out there, but that's a, you know, it's a great piece of technology. Not a lot of people. You know, consumer directive typically uses that type of thing, and I think as we shift more and more into video and those types of things, I just I think that just makes sense for a lot of companies. So let's talk a little bit more, just a little bit more about purchase itself. What advice would you give a executive kind of management person? Right, you've been in the executive level for a while now. You know, it's going to be a shift, right? They're going to see, as you mentioned, they got to be patient. It takes time. You're not going to see these, you know. Uh, maybe a big pipeline and might extend out longer than they're used to. What advice would you give to an executive leader who is uh, making that shift into the purchase world from a consumer direct environment where they haven't been, especially in the last year or two? Yeah. I mean, I think that you've got to set up what I call interim um, milestones and KPIs that you're looking at. Um, Obviously the first one is just leads. And then from the leads that you receive, um, you get the, the contact rates. And then, as you mentioned at the outset, I think you need to be segmenting out these consumers based upon their time to purchase. So, you know, generally you've got the really hot ones where they've got a contract and they need to close in 30 days. You've got people that are about to write a contract. And then you start getting into 30 to 60, 60 to 90, 90 plus, 180. So what do you do with those people that are not eminently writing a contract? You want to make sure that you've got them pre-approved. If you can, pre-qualified at a minimum, where you've at least pulled credit and you've talked to them about their income and you are positioning them to give them a a pre-qualification letter that they can take to a real estate agent when they make an offer. I think a lot of um, sellers right now expect that. So I think from a sales standpoint, you almost to be in the game with the the average customer, they've got to have a pre-qualification letter at a minimum, in some cases a pre-approval. Because their offer might be the same as somebody else's, but they know that deal's going to close. And that's all the listing agent and the seller really care about. So I think focusing on those interim metrics, whether it's pre-qualification or pre-approval. And then we've seen, you know, let's make sure your treatment and your expectations around that is probably two-thirds of those people might not ever write a contract, at least not in the time period. 
So set realistic expectations and they're going to be low. You know, how many of those people that you talk to can you contact? How many that you contact can you get a pre-approval or pre-qual? And then how many of those pre-approval pre-quals actually write a contract in the next 90 days? Awesome advice. So another quick segue, kind of in the lead management world as well. You've been, you know, at some companies that, you know, obviously lending tree, you're selling leads and you expect them to get managed and you've seen many companies do many different ways, you know, and you've been in some companies that, you know, are kind of in the, um, I would call it, you know, being in the old Velocify world, we always kind of looked up to some of these companies you've been with as far as what their strategies have been. It could be, you know, processors in Velocify, it could be, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And we've always heard kind of your name attached to it. What story would you tell if you could tell one story about lead management that kind of sticks in your mind as something that, you know, was maybe started as just a basic idea, but turned into something really successful? Yeah, I, I think talking about the purchase, um, I had a, a boss that wanted every lead called in 15 minutes. And and that doesn't make sense on a Monday morning. Um, when you come in, you've got leads from the weekend. And even if you had people working Saturday, you've got leads that came in Sunday, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And, you know, segmenting the people that you call back. So the person who's a purchase closing in six months, they don't expect to get a call in five minutes. And if you call them later that day and maybe even the next day, that's okay. Now, granted, you want to try to call everyone back, but you want to call the people that really need to be called first thing in the morning on Monday, first thing in the morning on Monday, and the people that can wait a little longer during the day to call them a little late in the day. So I, I would say the start of this is making sure that you are properly segmenting the leads based upon the data that comes over. And in order to do that, you've got to ask the question, what's your intent uh, and your timing to purchase? And then, and then addressing that, I think that's been a big thing with purchases is so that you don't treat every lead the same as far as you respond to it. Great. I couldn't agree more. We've talked about this many times. The prioritization of those things and the data you're collecting are, are so huge. So last question, I'm actually going to move into a little bit of just a little rapid fire questions, a new little segment we're going to do here because I want people to get to know Ed a little bit better as well. So a couple quick questions. Favorite college team? Uh, the Davidson Wildcats. Davidson Wildcats. Okay. So what's the story there? Graduate? Uh, I'm a graduate there. And, and we, we have uh, one grad, well, I'm not sure he's graduate yet. We have one alumnus who's been a pretty good player in the NBA. Yeah. And, and whatever it was, 15 years ago, I got to go watch uh, them make it, you know, one bucket away from going to the final four. So this time of year makes me think about that. It was a great weekend in, yeah. in uh, Detroit. So D- Davidson and, uh, is my, my college team. It's, it's limited to basketball for the most point. Sure. So, so Steph Curry then, so is, does that then lead into your favorite, uh, kind of sporting team professionally? Uh, no, I, I grew up, uh, outside of DC and I am a fan of the, uh, Washington football team. Oh, so those here that are on the video are going to be able to see a little bit. Well, I'm trying to move my finger over there. There it is. Cowboys. Yeah. I didn't, said. I didn't know this. Yeah. In fact, I actually went to a game, the first game I got to go to in um, whatever we're calling the, the, the new stadium, where the Redskins at that point beat the Cowboys. That was one of the higher um, moments of my life. To I still have a video of a bunch of us fans singing Hail to the Redskins on the um, mezzanine in uh, Dallas Stadium. Yeah, I'll, I mean, send, I'll send it to you. It was that one time, right? You guys beat the Cowboys? <laughs> uh, Colt McCoy was the quarterback, which oh. is the other irony of the whole thing. Yeah, even that, that, that hurts a little more. <laughs> actually, so I was going to ask a question. What do you prefer, work from home or work remote? And then I'm actually going to lead in a follow-up question there. 
I like going to the office. Um, yeah. When we had, when COVID hit, we had just taken um, 6,000 square feet down. I had three, well, at that point, two kids doing school from home. It just wasn't working. And it was great for me to get out of the house and go to the office. I think some hybrid longer term is the right answer. I mean, we have an eight o'clock morning call every Monday. Um, I go work out and I come home and I, I sit, you know, put my headphones down. I listen more than I'm not really that active, but the fact I can do that from home and I don't have to hustle be at the office just to listen to a video, that, that's a good thing to be able to do that from home. Yeah. What do you see in the future, like a year from now, you mentioned hybrid industry-wide, maybe not for you in particular, but what do you, do you see it continuing to be a hybrid type of model? Yeah. Although I think particularly in consumer direct, there's so much that can be gleaned, learned and shared by people being in the same office. I'm in our office in Atlanta right now, and there's a lot of uh, our younger people in here. And, and you can tell that there's a lot of energy and you know heads popping up above cubes and asking questions. And it's very difficult to replicate that energy, synergy, and at home and remote. Um, teams helps a little bit, but it just it's, there's no substitute for being around other people. No doubt, no doubt. So uh, last question. What's the, when, when are you going back to a conference in person? You know, the one that was, that we had the video at last year, um, which was just last week, I think if it had been maybe in May, I would have gone. Yep. So I would say this summer, I'm probably, I fortunately have gotten my second um, vaccination shot and uh, never had COVID. So I feel fairly good about going back, but I would say this summer. Yeah, cool. I'm ready to go back. I'm going to take my podcasting equipment with me and do that again. That was a lot of fun. And so maybe we'll have you on for a third time before we know it. Good. So, I look forward to it. Yep. Well, Ed, again, thanks for your time today. So great having you on. Really appreciate your advice. Yeah. Thanks for joining the show again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to doing it again soon, Scott. All right, Ed. Thanks so much for joining Bye-bye. us. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Lead Management Masterminds podcast. Today's episode is presented by SDP Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things lead management strategy and optimization. Please visit us at www.sdp-solutions.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast site.